super excited about this new series that I'm starting today. I know I say that about every series, but I'm also confused, Mark, as to which, what your favorite hymn is. Huh? Because you said the opening hymn was your favorite, and then you said the closing hymn was your favorite. Oh, that one too. Yeah, we didn't sing that one. Uh, and I know, just like Mark, and he gets confused about his favorite hymns, I get confused as to which is my favorite uh, series. And I guess the, my favorite is whichever one I'm preaching at the time. But 1 John is one of my favorite books. It is such a go-to text for me uh, whenever I just need some encouragement or whenever I just need some straight talk. Man, John just gives us some straight talk about some things. And he does it in more of a devotional way, more of a, I guess, more, more of a sermon-like way than some of the other writers in the New Testament, like Paul. I mean, sometimes Paul can just be so intellectual and deep, and it's great. Uh, but John, John just gives us some straight talk and in uh, some very devotional uh, terms. And, you know, sometimes that's what I need. Sometimes that's what I need. I don't know about you, but I have so many questions about God. I get so confused at this world. When I look around at this world, I I get confused as to why things are like they are. Just to be completely transparent, I read the Bible sometimes, and I don't understand some things. I mean, I, I don't understand why God has said certain things. There's certain things sometimes that I just, I just can't wrap my mind around, especially some of the stuff in the Old Testament. Sometimes there's things that happen to me or happen to other people, or sometimes there are just the ways of God that just, that just bring questions up in my mind. And truly, I thought that would go away. As I got older, I've been walking with the Lord now for over 31 years, I thought that as I got older and as I matured in my faith, that more of my questions would be answered and I would get it better. You know, because that's kind of how things usually work. You don't understand something, you study it long enough, and then you you kind of grasp it a lot better. And you don't have as many questions. Well, it's just really been the opposite. I think for those of you who walk with God and have been walking with God for a long time, you could say the same thing. That the more that time moves on, there's just a lot of questions that you have. And I've told you this before. If you have to have all of your questions answered in order to trust God, you will never have faith. You will, never, you, will, you will never be able to fully embrace Christianity if you have to have all of your questions answered and if everything has to always make sense. And God has just not promised to answer all of our questions. But what is available to us, and this is important for all 12 lessons that we're going to look at, all 12 sermons throughout the book of 1 John, what we, what we do have access to from God, even when we don't have all our questions answered, we have access to assurance. I don't know about you, but that's what I really need. I mean, sometimes I think, well, what if God answered all my questions? Would that really do my heart any good? I'm not, I'm not so sure that that's what my soul really needs, is to have all my questions answered. What I do need is for God to assure me and reassure me that I belong to Him, that I'm His child, that He loves me. 
I mean, after all, don't we need that from all of our relationships in life? Isn't that why you tell your spouse you love them every day, your kids that you love them every day? I mean, we, we offer assurance to children that they're loved and that they're protected and that they're safe. And so our Heavenly Father offers to us assurance that we belong to Him. And that's what this, that's what this series is going to be about through 1 John. Specifically, we are obviously going to talk about um, that we need to, ha- we need to uh, have assurance that we have eternal life. But just in general, we need God to assure us that He's with us. And I believe that all of our confidence in God arises from the assurance that we actually have eternal life with Him. And there's one verse in uh, the book of 1 John that really summarizes the entire book. One verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. And I will, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read this verse to you a lot throughout this series. But in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That is, that is the summation of the whole book of 1 John. I'll read it to you again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How many of you understand and grasp that when you know that you have eternal life, when you have that assurance that it seems like that all of the reassurance that we need from God really just kind of flows out of that? And so as a result, we're going to look at several topics, several topics throughout the book of 1 John, and we're going to glean certain recognizable characteristics of people who have eternal life. And I want to emphasize again, recognizable characteristics of people who have eternal life. Just about everything has recognizable characteristics. If I asked you to describe to me a rabbit, if I said, hey, what does a rabbit look like? What are some recognizable characteristics? You'd say, well... He's got long ears, he's a small animal, hops along the ground, he's got big feet, large teeth, little bushy tail, he's kind of tan or gray in color. You would describe certain recognizable characteristics. If I told you, I said, hey, I'm going to describe to you a certain type of athlete. And I said to you, this particular athlete wears a helmet, has eye black, plays on a 100-yard field with a bunch of other guys. They wear tight pants. They have face masks on, chin straps. You would look at me and you would say that is a, a football player. There's just obvious, recognizable characteristics of just about everything in life. Well, so it is with a Christian. I have gone through the book of 1 John very carefully, all five chapters, and I have pulled out 19. 19 recognizable characteristics of a person who possesses eternal life. And we're going to and, and basically the reason we look at these we're going to look at these characteristics is because when you self-evaluate, it gives you assurance that you know the Lord, that you have eternal life and that he is with you and that leads to a general assurance of everything in your life. So, we're going to start with 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to read the first 10 verses which is really going to comprise the the whole chapter of 1 John. And there is so much that I could say about these verses, but I'm basically going to pull out these three recognizable characteristics and I want you to be listening for them as we read this together. And so in honor of God's word and just to give him 
full attention. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read these verses together. And I want, you to be, I want you to be thinking in your mind, what are some recognizable characteristics of a person that has eternal life? 1 John chapter 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you would take the preaching of your word. I pray, Lord, that the preaching of your word would match the truth of your word. I pray, God, that you would use me as a vessel to encourage and to strengthen your people today. Lord, would you send your spirit to walk among us today? God, would you convict hearts? Lord, would you encourage us? Would you just be with us? Lord, your presence is what we need. And we love you and we offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as you can see in these first 10 verses that I read in the book of 1 John, uh, there's a lot of things that we could talk about, a lot of things that we could look at. I mean, after all, it mentions the incarnation, which, what we celebrate around Christmas, and I'm going to briefly mention that. It talks about a characteristic of God, it says that God is light. I mean, we could, I could spend a whole sermon uh, just, just talking about that. There are a lot of things that are in those 10 verses that would be worthy of our meditation. I want to pull out just three of them that, that are these evidences, these assurances that we have eternal life. If you want a cheat sheet, I have them printed on the back of your bulletin. They're very simple. Uh, they're not rocket science. Uh, they're, they're simple in keeping with the simplicity in which the book of 1 John is written. And they are uh, joyful fellowship with God, uh, acknowledgement of sin, and I would say genuine acknowledgement of sin, and number three, forgiveness and cleansing from sin. These, these three evidences, really, they really kind of go together, and they're just basic and foundational to our Christian life. Let's look at the first one, uh, joyful fellowship with God. If there is one thing that God wants with you, this is it. If, if you're the kind of person that you would pray, Lord, what is your will? What is, you, what, what is it that you want from me? What do you desire from me? 
the number one answer universally that God wants and that God desires is He desires to be in fellowship with you. Fellowship is a word that we find in Scripture. We see it several times in these 10 verses. It's a word that you almost exclusively find only Christians using. You very rarely find someone who doesn't read the Bible, who doesn't know the Lord, that uses the word fellowship. It's not in, it's not in a non-Christian vocabulary to use that word. However, it is in our vocabulary. vocabulary. You, you Christians use this word a lot. It describes a special relationship between Creator God and, and the hum, a human being that God has created. It describes a special relationship between God and man. And it describes, also, and don't miss this, it describes a special relationship that people who are in fellowship with God have with each other. So it, the fellowship describes both uh, a relationship that we have with God and a relationship that we have with the people of God. It is a special relationship. It is a unique relationship. It is, it is the number one thing that God wants from you. And it is the, I believe, it is the very first foundational characteristic of a true believer as an indicator and as an assurance that you have eternal life. Fellowship with God, a special relationship, a connection that you have with God and a connection that you have with the people of God. It is so important to God that God has gone through great lengths to make sure that it is accessible to those of us who want it and those of us who desire it. And this is a beautiful thing. It's open to anyone. Anyone can have this bond, this spiritual, relational, special bond with God and with the people of God. But not everybody wants it. But God has gone through great lengths to make sure that it's accessible. I mean, th just think about the Bible as a whole. I mean, God created the world and He created this garden, this beautiful Garden of Eden. And He put Adam and Eve in that Garden of Eden. And they had a wonderful bond, an unbroken fellowship relationship with Him. Of course, it got broken by sin. And literally everything that we read after that in the Old Testament is God trying to bring people close to Him. God wants you to be close to Him. He wants you to be near to Him. We see this evidence through the lives of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. We see this is, 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 is so apparent in how God dealt with his people, delivered them from Egypt, put them in a promised land, gathered them all together in one place. He gave them the temple where he put his presence, where they could be with him. And then in the New Testament, as mentioned in these verses, God did something incredible. He did something amazing. Because he wanted to be in fellowship with you. He literally left a throne in heaven and he took upon flesh. The Bible says that he was made manifest. This means that God in Christ literally, physically, verbally, with, with, uh, visually, audibly, God manifested himself physically among us. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of the 12 apostles? 
Can you imagine what it would have been like to walk around the countryside with Jesus, who was God in the flesh, manifested visibly, audibly, physically, literally with us, talk to him, shake his hand, fist bumps, whatever they did back then, hear him preach, all of those types of things, laugh with him, cry with him. They were in fellowship, closeness with him. And you, you might have be tempted to say to yourself, well, that would have been great. I would love to have that with Jesus. But the apostles say, John was one of the apostles, he says, listen, we're telling you what we've seen and heard. We're, te- we're telling you about the physical manifestation, the incarnation of Christ. We're telling you this so that you too may have fellowship with us and with God. You can enjoy the same intimacy and closeness and fellowship with God that anybody in Scripture had, but in a spiritual way, which is just as special, is just as much of a bond. And this is what God wants for you. This is the primary thing that God wants you to have. And there should be something joyful about it. That's what John, uh, John chapter 1, verse 4 says. It talks about this joyful fellowship in verse 4. He says, we're writing these things so that your joy might be complete. You find a person who genuinely has eternal life. And they will be able to tell you stories of how they have shared close moments with Jesus. They will be able to tell you about times sitting in a worship service or at home reading their Bible or at a conference somewhere or driving down the road where they felt and sensed with joy the fellowship of God. This is a distinguishing characteristic that marks those of us who have eternal life. We have a relationship with Him. It's not just somebody we know about. We have a relationship with Him. And because we have that relationship, we begin to see some things about ourselves that need to be acknowledged. And this is the second indicator that we see in these verses that we have eternal life. There is a genuine acknowledgement of sin. This is a distinguishing characteristic of people who know Christ. There is a genuine acknowledgement of sin, not a dismissal of their sin. That is so easy to do. And we see, we see whole groupings of Christians these days, whole, denom- whole Christian denominations that are dismissing their sin. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's not that big of a deal. Or it's not even a sin anymore. Well, people, uh, people for 2,000 years used to think it was a sin when they read the Bible. Oh, but we don't think it's a sin anymore. It's no big deal. There has to be a genuine acknowledgement of sin in the heart of someone that has eternal life. And what these verses do, and these verses are kind of interesting, these verses show us what I would say are ungenuine acknowledgements of sin or just a right, outright rejection that there is no sin. So there's, there's kind of three things in here, but if you look, they all start with if we say. If you look to the right of the screen, it says if we say we have, no, we have fellowship, if we say we have no sin, if we say we have not sinned. There's kind, of, there's kind of three scenarios here where we see a person refusing to acknowledge their sin. And the first is just a false profession. Verse 6 says if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. John is just pointed. I mean, he does, he does not mind crawling up in your lap and getting in your face and calling you a liar. 
I mean, he does it several times throughout, throughout the book. And this is, this is one of two times that we see it in chapter 1. If we say, I'm close to God, I love the Lord, I'm in a relationship with Him, Jesus died for me and I have a special bond with Him. If we say that, we say we have fellowship, but our lifestyle doesn't back it up. We walk in darkness we're not, we're not really living in the light of the gospel, then John says that we're really lying because we're not practicing the truth. You see, a true acknowledgement of sin says, okay, I see what I'm not supposed to do, so I'm going to start practicing the truth. That's a true acknowledgement of sin. And then the second one is found in verse 8, and this is self-deception. Self-deception says if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. This is self-deception. This is not seeing ourselves correctly. And um, this, this kind of reminds me of like, you know, a five-year-old who never thinks he needs a bath, right? Have you ever, have you ever known a five-year-old or a first grader or a third grader or, or an elementary age kid that would say, you know what? I need a bath. I'm just nasty. I don't know that they make those. They didn't make those in my house. We were not able to produce any of those folks um, in, in the Parkinson household. There's something about kids that it doesn't matter how much they've been playing in the creek. It doesn't matter how much they've been petting that old nasty yard dog. They just don't ever feel like they need a bath. I can go crawl up in my bed and go to sleep, and I don't need a bath. And, um, you know, teenagers, teenagers, it's even worse. I mean, there may or may not have been a conversation uh, in my house last night about wearing underwear twice. You just turn them backwards. You just turn them inside out. And that's just gross, right? It's self-deception. Wash your clothes, take a bath, right? And so we deceive ourselves in the same way when we're like, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm okay. I don't have any sin. And I wonder, if, I wonder if you do that sometimes. I wonder if you just kind of come walking up in church. Oh, I'm doing good. Everything's just great. Knowing good and well that your life is a mess and things are a wreck. I mean, we need to, we need to acknowledge this is what people with eternal life do. People with eternal life, they acknowledge, man, my life is messed up. I need to be cleansed. I, I need Jesus to do something inside of me. That's self-deception. It's not a true acknowledgement of sin. The third one is even worse, and this is our culture. Verse 10 is just blasphemy. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Or at least we try to. And his word is nowhere in us. You know, there's certain things that you can believe about yourself that basically call God a liar. And this is one of them. To say, oh, I'm, I'm not a sinner. This, and, and by the way, this is the position of our culture. The position of our culture is that people are by nature good. People are by nature, they're inherently good. They just, sometimes, they just sometimes mess up and do bad things, but they're by nature good. You see, that's not what the Bible teaches, um, and, and, but that's what the culture would say. We haven't sinned. We haven't broken fellowship with God. We're, we're, we're okay. We are inherently good. We're by nature good. No, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we are by nature bad and evil, 
but we sometimes do things that are good. Or maybe we often do things that are good. I don't know. Some, all of us are on different scales. But we are by nature bad. And to say otherwise is really blasphemy. You see, a person, a person that has eternal life acknowledges, acknowledges, I have sinned. I do have sin in my life. I'm going to sin. And I just, I need God to do something with me that I just can't do with myself. And that's where this third one comes in. This third one is forgiveness and cleansing from sin. This is a distinguishing characteristic that can give you assurance that you have eternal life, is that you have been forgiven of your sin and you have been cleansed from your sin. That's, that's what this verse talks about. It talks about cleansing. It talks about forgiveness. It talks about confession. This is a characteristic. People, listen, people with eternal life can tell you about how they have experienced forgiveness. Let me explain what I mean by that. I don't believe that forgiveness is just some stale biblical uh, concept, some, some uh, theological concept that we just accept and just believe in our mind. I believe that forgiveness is something that we experience. It's something that God does inside of us. It's, it's, it's that moment whenever we say, Lord, I'm not in fellowship with you. I genuinely acknowledge my sin. And I, I confess it. And God, come and be with me. And when that happens, it's, it's, it's that moment in time when it's like that weight is just rolled off. That guilt and shame, it's just kind of swiped away. Some, some, of you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you've experienced forgiveness in your life. Some of you can think back to that day whenever you were saved and just the joy of being in fellowship with God whenever you acknowledged your sin and just the Holy Spirit just washing over you and you felt forgiven. Just like whenever you greatly offended someone and that person, and you felt really guilty about it, and that person forgave you and they came up to you and they just gave you a warm hug. And you, you, you felt their forgiveness. It was, it was, it's something that we experience from God that He gives to us. It's like a, it's like a relief. You see, a person with eternal life can tell you about those things. They can tell you about these interactions they've had with the Holy Spirit and with, with, with Christ, where they've been forgiven. See, a, a person with eternal life can tell you about those cleansing seasons or those cleansing moments in their life. A person with eternal life is, is going to tell you about those times whenever they were confronted with the truth of the Word of God and they saw this flaw in them. And they said, God, it's inescapable because it's just, it's, it's attached to my soul. And they cried out to the Lord and God took it away. See, someone with eternal life is going to be able to say, I once was a drunkard, but now I'm not. I once was a fornicator, but now I'm different. I once was an adulterer, but now there's something different about me. I once was a thief, but now I'm generous. 
I once dishonored my father and mother, and now I honor my father and mother. I could go through all the Ten Commandments if I wanted to. Uh, It's still fresh on my mind. I, I once was these things, but when I entered into fellowship with God, I acknowledged there was something wrong with me, and God did something, and He changed me. A person with eternal life can tell you about sin that they have actually repented of. Not that they have just acknowledged that was wrong, but sin that God has taken away from them and that they no longer live in. You see, a person with eternal life can talk about the cleansing that they have had as a result of reading God's Word and as a result of times of prayer. And they can tell you about times when fellowship with God was broken, but God brought them back and that they were more thankful to the Lord and more cleansed as a result. A person with eternal life is going to be able to tell you how the people of God have been used as instruments by which they felt in closer fellowship with God and by which they received additional cleansing from God. That's what, that's what the people of God do. That's what happens whenever you bond with people through a life group or whenever you go on mission trips together. Or when you arrive 15 minutes early and stay 15 minutes late just so you can enter into conversation and and be in fellowship with God's people. You see, the genuine people of God are found in churches. Now listen, churches are just like the garden that you've been growing in the back of your yard or in, in your backfield all summer. They have tomatoes and cucumbers and whatever gardeners plant. They got all that good stuff in there. But they also have weeds. They also have little varmints that hop around in there and rodents. and They have, they have bugs that, that, that invade and, and maybe even thieves that come in and do stuff. And Jesus told parables about the visible church. It was that way. But listen, if you want to find true people of God, you're going to find them collected in, uh, in churches together on Sunday mornings. That's where you find them. You're going to find other stuff too, but you're going to find the people of God. And God uses all of us together as instruments in each other's life to bring each other closer in closer fellowship with the Lord and to help each other find more purity and sanctification together. This is, this is part of what it means to have, pers- to, to, have, uh, to have eternal life. And there is perhaps no stronger of an indicator that you belong to the Lord and that you have eternal life than the fact that you have been forgiven and cleansed from sin. It is, it is one of the best external, fruitful indicators, of one of the best visual distinguishing characteristics that you actually have eternal life is the fact that you have been cleansed from sin. You see, it's impossible to be closely associated with the most pure and holy, morally perfect being imaginable and not personally become more pure, holy, and morally clean. It's a natural result. You enter into fellowship with God and you experience the cleansing of God. You enter into deeper fellowship with God and you experience deeper cleansing and holiness from God. It just works together. And we use these things as indicators. We use these these distinguishing characteristics like fellowship with God, genuine acknowledgement of sin, uh, forgiveness and cleansing from sin as a self-analysis that gives us assurance. 
And if none of these things have ever happened in your life, if you, if you can't tell stories of, of how you have just been in close, intimate fellowship with God and God's people, where you have acknowledged your sin in a genuine fashion that has led to repentance, if you, if you can't talk about how you have, have experienced God's forgiveness and, uh, and had that cleansing happen in your life, there's, there's, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. There's something that needs to change in your life. There's some, there's some kind of barrier. There's something that is blocking you from actually living the life that God wants you to have, and you'll never have assurance. In the back of your mind, you'll always question. You say, I wonder if God is really real. I wonder if I'm really saved. I wonder if he's really with me. If you don't have these assurances in your life, you're always going to have that hovering into the back of your mind. And don't you want assurance today? Don't you want to know for sure? You know, the Bible tells us, 1 John 1, 9. The Bible makes it so simple. The Bible tells us what we must do. The Bible tells us what God will do. And in the midst, it tells us who He is. The Bible tells us what we must do. It says, if we confess... See, confession is just an acknowledgement. Confession is saying, God, I'm not in fellowship with you. Confession is saying, I'm going to come to terms with the truth about myself. God, I'm not in fellowship with you. There, I said it. Confession is coming to, come to terms with, the, with, with your sin. You know what, Lord? I, I haven't wanted to give this up, and so I haven't wanted to acknowledge it. It's sin, but it is sin, and you are telling me to give it up. You are telling me truth about myself and who I am and how I need to change. I just acknowledge it. That's confession. Confession is saying, you know what, Lord? I, I, have, I have never experienced your forgiveness. Not really. I've read about it in Scripture. I've heard preachers talk about it, but God, it's never been true for me. And Lord, I have never, I have never been on a path of spiritual growth. I have never been cleansed. That's confession. Confession is just getting honest with God. It's just, it's just getting honest with Him. And if there's anybody that you want to get honest with, it's someone who is faithful and just. You see, this scripture tells us what we must do, but it tells us who God is, that He's faithful and just. And then it tells us what God will do. It tells us what God will do. He will cleanse us. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, you can't get saved unless that's what you want. You can't get saved unless you would say, you know what? I need cleansing and I want it. I know I don't have it and I need it. I want it. You, 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 can't, get, you can't get saved unless you, unless you acknowledge that. But this is, this is the formula. We confess all of this to God who is faithful and just and he cleanses us and we find ourselves we find ourselves right where I began this sermon in joyful fellowship with God. If you want that today, I just want to invite you to do what we have already sung today to call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I want you to bow your head I want you to close your eyes and I want you to pray. And here's specifically what I want you to pray. I want you to pray about your fellowship with God. Are you in fellowship with God? Do you and Him have a special bond and a special 
relationship. If not, why not? If you don't and you've never had a special relationship, a bond of fellowship with him, would you ask him to save you? Would you just ask him to save you right now? Just confess your sin and ask him to save you? And maybe you would say, I, I, know, I, know, that I've, I know that I've been saved, but I've just been so out of fellowship with God. Would you, would you pray that prayer? Just say, Lord, bring me back close to you. And would you acknowledge your sin right now? And I don't mean just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I want you to name it to him. I want you to pray a list. I want you to tell God specifically, specifically the flaws and the, and, and the, the sins and the drawbacks and the hang-ups that you have. Just name them out to him. And listen, if you can't think of anything, if you can't think of anything right now, your mind is, you, you have not been in the presence of God. Your mind is not focused on the Lord right now. You should be able to name some things in your life right now. Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner because I do this or I say that or I, I won't stop doing this or I started doing that. Just name it. And then would you ask God for holiness? Just ask Him for it. Say, Lord, cleanse me, forgive me, make me holy. You spend a few moments in prayer and then Mark will lead us in a song. Thanks again for joining us this morning. We hope that you enjoyed the message.